On today's show, I'm going to be talking with Eddie Cohn, and he's got a new single out called Animals, and it is from his upcoming album, Dystopian Days, which sounds very brooding and prophetic. <laughs> so I'm going to yes. really uh, want to talk about what inspired that and you know, how it's a reflection of our times. Um, he has uh, many hats he wears. Uh, he does yoga. He's got a podcast. He's a writer. And I think I'm just going to start right off, not only introducing you to the show, Eddie, but I want you to tell us what is the common thread that runs through all these pursuits of yours? Question, Kelly. Thanks for having me on the show, by the way. Um, I appreciate your time. I think, I feel like for the longest time I used to limit myself in the sense that I was only a musician, you know, only a singer. And I think maybe something shifted about 10 or 12 years ago. And of course, I'm, I'm certainly no Justin Timberlake, but I, I feel like I became more aware of artists who were expressing themselves in multiple mediums. And I, I think I have a lot to say. Uh, I don't know if it always resonates with people, but I think only being a singer or songwriter, I, I think not that if I only did that, I'm sure that would be fantastic. But I think teaching yoga, um, DJing, um, the podcast, these are just, and I just finished writing a book about two weeks ago, which I'm hoping to publish by the end of the year. I think these are just avenues that are allowing me to express a lot of the strange and hopefully relatable feelings and thoughts where I'm trying to sort of navigate this this exciting but bizarre world. Well, I love the name of your podcast, The Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral Podcast. Doesn't that just say it all? Yeah, I think, first of all, you know, The Downward Spiral was one of my favorite Nine Inch Nails records, but um, I think The Downward Facing sort of relates a little bit to the yoga. The Downward Facing also was meant to connect with how people's heads are constantly down staring at their phones. I just, I became intrigued a couple of years ago, um, just how social media and technology are impacting the world and, and, and specifically artists and creativity. I mean, what, what does it mean if you're in the studio with four band members and instead of collaborating, three of them are staring at Instagram and one of them is playing the guitar. I, I think, you know, what does it mean when with everybody spending um, all their time or a vast majority of time on Netflix and Hulu. What, what is that happening? How is that affecting people's free time? You, you know, mm-hmm. what, where artists in all of this? And, and I just think it's a complicated uh, crossroads of sorts. And, and I just, the show sort of sprung out of my frustration, confusion, and figuring out how to balance art with tech. Mm-hmm. Well, starting a podcast is interesting because it's never quite the way you think it'll be. You know, you set out, you give it a theme, you invite guests on, but then it takes on a life of its own. So I'm wondering, as you've you know interviewed more people and gotten more into your podcast, what's the unexpected part of it for you? Hmm. Well, positively, you know, it's it, in a sort of strange, bizarre way, it's it's become therapeutic. I never thought that it would be, it's almost sort of this living, breathing animal that I go to when I feel like I need to 
express myself. And it, it's almost, it's almost sort of, you know, those moments, I don't know if you've been to therapy before where you, you, you sort of think, Oh, I, I got to call, call my therapist and go in and talk. And, and while I, I haven't been for years, I feel that sort of similarity and that commonality where, or that common thread where uh, there's definitely a therapeutic element to it that I wasn't suspecting. Um, well, when it's good, how, I was just going to say when, you know, you, you do a good podcast it is therapeutic, and it's also like talking to a good friend. It's like therapeutic in the way where it's not a formal therapy session, but sometimes people let their guards down, and you can go even deeper than with a therapist because, you know, it's this. There's a certain um, common common friendship thing, whereas you know, in therapy, it's more like therapist subject. But when you find a peer, maybe it's in music. You know, just finding like-minded mm-hmm. people. That that's when you let your guard down, and a lot of the creativity comes through. Yeah, I agree. I, I feel like I have somehow been blessed to. I've, I've had a who's who of LA-based and, and national-based artists that have, have had an interest in joining me on the show, and it's interesting. I it's just last little point that I was thinking about. I feel like I also subconsciously subconsciously created the show because I yearn and need to hear people's voices. I, I think subconsciously I became frustrated. I'm still a phone call guy. You know, I still like to talk and, and hear people's voices. And I think I'm the minority now. And I think most people are just so tuned in and used to just sending a DM and text and the convenience of that while I certainly understand if I'm running 10 minutes late for a reservation for dinner, I'm certainly not going to have to call the person. I could just send a text and say, hey, I'm running late. But I I do think I'm one of those types of people that um, still really needs a human being to talk to and listen to. And and I think that the podcast sort of forces that element where somebody has to put the phone down, focus, and talk to me and listen. And it's, it's really a a full experience. But we miss out on someone's tone. If we're just reading a text and so much about communication is the tone of someone's voice and just how they say something. And I think that's what, um, you know, if we're lonely and want to hear a friend's voice, you know, you know, a text is no substitute for hearing that person's voice. No. And I, again, and I don't try to be, um, I try to give people the benefit of the doubt, but I just, I do wonder at, at what point are people aware that they're even longing for somebody's voice? Like, like somebody has become so used to that routine of turn on the phone, watch Netflix for two hours, text and check email while I'm watching television. I, I, again, another reason why I started the podcast was just these questions of, are you aware that you just spent four hours today watching Netflix? Are you aware today that you actually didn't even open up your mouth and have a conversation? Um, mm-hmm. it, you know, and then also just this idea of listening. I think people have become so self-absorbed. It's one thing to be self-aware, but when you're so obsessed with, you know, sharing um, sharing every detail of your life. Are you actually aware of, of the life around you and actually listening to what other people have to say? I, I, I don't know. I, I certainly like technology, but I think it's, it's had these effects that 
people really aren't even aware of. Well, how do we get to the point of Instagram where the average person is now branding themselves? Well, I even recorded an episode maybe a year and a half ago. I mean, human beings don't exist anymore. It's everybody's a brand. And, and I think, um, you know, my Instagram is a mess and I think it's very challenging for somebody who does a lot of different things to sort of capture their humanistic qualities into an Instagram profile. And, and sadly, Instagram sort of wants people to, based on algorithms, and, and obviously I've studied this, they sort of want people to be posting the same type of thing. Like if you're posting nothing but trees, that's, that works in the algorithm. But if you're a tree person, then you're, then you're posting a guitar shot. If, if it mixes and matches from this to that, it, it doesn't benefit the algorithm and then they don't support the user of their platform. And um, I think people have become more conscious and more concerned about that like, like let's face it that's that's a digital life that that is not analog that is not your real world yet people are thinking more about that world than the day-to-day world and i think a show that really is emblematic of that existence is euphoria on hbo which i just thought was incredibly dark but but just brilliant and i i think it's showing kids that are growing up in this this bizarre world and, and again i'm not trying to be just dystopian here i realize you know that's thematically sort of what i wrote about and but i i just think it's a very interesting um exciting but but a challenging world to navigate right now well we've had a generation or two that's grown up with you know follow your passion you know do what you love the money will follow and I think a lot of people who just want to live nine to five lives and clock in at the office, you know, not everyone, you know, wants to follow some grand pursuit. Do you think that is damaged just a little bit? Like if we just want to fly under the radar, you know, not be a, an Instagram superstar. We kind of feel deficient. Um, it's interesting. You know, I, I think I understand the points my brain is going towards um, community, and oftentimes the community was the dinner table at night when with those people that worked nine to five, um, went to the gym and came home, and then it was enough because they were able to build that community at home where everybody was around the dinner table, talked about your day, maybe watched the television show together played a board game of some sort, but now, you know, you have two kids, a wife, all addicted to tech, all going down various rabbit holes, uh, down their own individual rabbit holes at night. It's, it's potential where that's, as they, as the statistics say, depression's on the rise, disconnection is on the rise. And I can't help but think again, if, if you're not aware at night, you're, you're going in your own separate paths and, not a part of your family community and, and there's nothing wrong with the nine to five, but it's the key is, is what you're doing from that 7 PM to 11 or 12 o'clock at night when you're going to bed, are you um, doing things that are, that are making you active where you're thinking for yourself and thinking objectively and sharing time with your family, or are you just numbing out for those four or five hours and just trying to binge watch as many shows as you possibly can. So it, it's really um, a, a whole new way of, of, of living life right now. 
Well, listening to your podcast, I think you did a really good job of talking about, you know, creativity and spirituality in a world of tech. And, you know, sometimes that'll complement it, but sometimes you're at odds with it. And I think the biggest thing right now, kind of like what you were saying, it's that fear of missing out that, you know, gives us this anxiety, you know, looking at other people's Facebook feeds and Instagram photos, and we're scrambling thinking there's some, you know, other piece of joy we're missing out on, but we don't quite know what it is. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm certainly guilty of it also, but I think I'm aware enough and focused enough and have so many pursuits that I'm uh, passionate about that I, I can't allow myself to go there for more than five minutes because um, I just I, I, I just can't get too wrapped up in it. I think the conflict of interest is as an artist or a creator or even a chef, when you're making something that you want people to see or consume, the natural instinct is to go to Facebook and share it. And, and I think one of the repercussions of the world where, um, you know, people are, I, I think one repercussion of streaming services is it's, it's affected the PR side of entertainment. Uh, the agent side, manager side, where it's sort of, you're the artist, I want you to also go on to Instagram and Facebook and promote yourself. Uh, Also, um, share about what you're doing and creating. And and honestly, I don't don't like that side of of it. And I, uh, it's a part of my brain that that starts to spiral and makes me feel a little exhausted and tired. And and I would prefer to just... um, having these types of conversations and keep writing and writing a book and writing music. And, and it's, it's a, it's a complicated, um, as I said, crossroads where I think it requires an immense level of, of focus and discipline to know that, okay, I'm not feeling very good. I need to get off of that and go outside or go back to writing and go back to sort of the intrinsic elements of life that I really, that, that nourish me and make me feel good. Well, imagine if while Fleetwood Mac was making the Rumors album and Stevie Nicks had access to social media and every day was showing little funny videos and live feeds and Zoom calls, don't you think that would have taken away some of the mystique? Well, absolutely. You know, I I, I talk about it ad nauseum on my show. You know, uh, I think... Something Loud, it was this documentary on Jimmy Page, The Edge, and I'm suddenly forgetting, Jack White. And and Jimmy Page is talking about when they recorded When the Levee Breaks in this huge banquet hall uh, or the staircase, the drum sound. And um, I, I think there's a reason why music now, although more incredibly <coughs> prevalent and just about anybody can make a record now at home with garage bands, but I think the combination of, of attention spans, I don't think artists are releasing records is per, per se, where from song one to song 10 is solid. Um, I think it does affect the process if you, every five to 10 minutes, have to post an Instagram story about what you're doing in the studio. I, I'm not 
sure yet if it's worse or better. I mean, I'm leaning towards it. Can it possibly, can a writer possibly write as good of a book or a song if every five, 10 minutes they're getting a notification on their phone? I, I just, I don't think it's possible. Uh, so I think it's just, and you bring up an interesting word, mystique. Everything now has to be um, available. You know, it's like, it's, a, it's, it's unusual. It's unusual if you don't know something about an artist. It's almost like we want that 24-7 uh, access to what they're doing all the time. And I think that the mystique creates curiosity. And what curiosity causes people to want to investigate for themselves and, and seek out. And I think it's interesting, but I think those subtle nuances of being curious, seeking out, has also sort of, you know, dissipated a bit because of that constant 24 access, 24-7 access that people just expect now of everybody. Mm-hmm. And people have always pitched products, especially, you know, sports celebrities. But I, I think the tides kind of turned when pop singers became brands, and especially if you were like, a Britney Spears or J-Lo, you'd suddenly put out a perfume or a fashion line. And and now it's so far removed from what their central art is. It's like, okay, are you a musician first or are you a fashion designer? And you can obviously do both, but I think so much of the art now gets overshadowed by, by the pitch and the spokesperson. You know, we have to peddle more product to make more money. And look, I I fully support Shayla. I think Shayla is brilliant, an amazing dancer, uh, singer, actor. And to be able to do these things um, and then to turn it over into perfume or clothing, I, I just I think there is a level of of detailed expertise that she has, Beyonce has, Justin Timberlake. However, these people have teams of people that are helping them branch out into makeup, into perfume, going from, I mean, it it requires um, teams of people to get there. And I think the problem is is that with somebody who who isn't at the level of the J-Lo is living a life that way, it gets to be a bit overwhelming and they can't ultimately afford the PR person, the, the person who's trying to help them get into clothing and design. I mean, all these things cost money. And I think a lot of times mm-hmm. people, uh, consumers just sort of are, are so hooked on the subscription services that they don't realize that, hey, Quentin Tarantino had to spend, you know, four or five years on, uh, Inglorious Bastards, and that movie spent forty. You know that that movie took four years to make, and it's it just oh that song that I just got for free on Spotify. It actually cost you know a thousand dollars to make. Or I, I just people mm-hmm. don't really care or even think about all of these pursuits uh, are time consuming and also very expensive. It's it's just again I, I'm not. Um, you know, the, the person who's saying, oh, I, I walked to school five miles uphill in snow there and back. I mean, I, I am fully conscious and aware that there's a lot of good out of what's, what's happening with tech, and I, I certainly use it and, and enjoy it. But I, I'm thinking culturally, um, 
when millions, billions of people are living this in this world, in this life, what what is the impact of that? And and uh, I think mm-hmm. it's just an interesting phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know a lot about yoga, but from what I've seen, it seems like yoga is a good answer to all this. Like if you want to get away from the screen or your devices and just be quiet and do, you know, a physical discipline that's meditative, it just seems like yoga is the perfect answer for that. So I'm just curious, you know, how does yoga, you know, refresh you and also help you recharge yourself creatively? You know, I think the interesting thing about yoga over the last year is a lot of the classes were taught on Zoom. And and I I think to really embrace yoga, rest, meditation, hang on, I think one of my cats is scratching at the door. Oh. (laughs) No, I know. Sorry. Um, You need to Okay, cats are very intuitive. The, the cat they knows are. you're on the verge of an epiphany here. <laughs> well, I think, you know, I, I'm all about yoga. And I, I teach yoga. I had to take a break for about five months because I broke my ankle on, on Christmas Day. But I I, I was already I, – I implement – look, you know, I, I, I think the, the one part of COVID – hang on one second. Mm-hmm. Hey, can you get the cat? Well, you have to – sorry. I think – I think we have forgotten the value of eating well and being active and um, every single day also staying away from your phone, staying away from your computer for at least an hour, two hours, maybe a, a, a detox of a week. I mean, whether it's yoga, whether it's going to the gym, you know, going for a run, a walk. I, I played golf yesterday for two hours. Uh, it's just all of these items quote-unquote, um, help you recharge. It's, it's just, and I think now more than ever, it's just so valuable to, to meditate for 15 minutes, yoga for an hour, um, play golf two hours. Uh, it's just, I, I, we ride our bikes every weekend down to Hermosa Beach. It's just all of these, well, it doesn't have to be yoga. I, I think, of course, I, I'm a big advocate of yoga, but I just, I, I've, I've noticed my lifestyle has improved and, and my health is at the best it's ever been. And I think it's because I'm just implementing multiple modalities into my life. And, and, and um, it's just, I think it's incredibly important now to find an hour a day to just tune out and tune in to yourself. Mm-hmm. Well, I was reading, uh, you said in 2020, when most of us were quarantining, that you were rereading some of your favorite classics, uh, Catcher in the Rye, Animal Farm, and Lord of the Flies, which yeah. reminds me of a uh, high school uh, English class. Um, but those are very timely, too. Um, well, what do you get out of that, <laughs> and how did that maybe influence your album? Because it sounds like, especially Lord of the Flies and Animal Farm, definitely has some dystopian themes there. Yeah, I think, I don't, I think the record was already close to being done when I started reading those books. But 
saying, hot. I think the, the cats are just really enjoying my voice. I, I think they just like my voice or something. So I think <laughs> I was really, I'm just trying to think back on, on sort of what Well, do you think part of it here. is you as an artist just had a need to go back and reread the work that inspired you? Probably, but I, I think also I was finished. I know another reason why I was reading those books. It was, it was actually twofold. I was finishing my book, and I was working with my publisher and my editor, and they wanted me to change some areas, which ultimately I, I agreed with. But I was really, I, just, I hit a wall creatively. I had no idea what, how to fix these areas. And so I just wanted a break from thinking about it, being in front of the computer screen. So I thought, you know something, I'm going to read a few books just to get my brain consuming other people's writings and literature. And, and, and I got the sense that it would sort of soak into my brain and hopefully help me to focus a bit on what I'm trying to write. And mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I, I think as the record was finishing up, hang up. Mm-hmm. Can we can you just hop him over there for now, just for fifteen minutes? Sorry, just put him in there. Oh, you, you, your cat wants uh, this fifteen minutes of fame. I know. Well, it's just it's just distracting. I think <laughs> um, there you go. And 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 with the theme of the show, I think I was. So it was it was twofold. It was a combination of trying to sort of help me get inspired about what I'm trying to write and get some focus on my book. And then I think with everything that was happening in 2020, of course people were talking about uh, 1984. Um, but then I also remember Lord of the Flies. And then I remember Catcher in the, oh, Catcher in the Rye was another classic that I read as well. I just I felt like, they were going to not only help me focus on my own writing, but also sort of help me connect or try to understand a little bit about what's been going on in, uh, in 2020. And, and I think, as you said, the books are very uh, emblematic of what we've been, we've been going through, whether we, whether we want to see it or not. Well, how about when you recorded your album, Dystopian Days, were there favorite singers or albums that inspired you that you were listening to to get that spark? It's interesting. I, I think I wasn't planning on making a record. Um, but then the world just was so dark. And I'll never forget. I think it was already... I, I, I Well... This will go back to sort of the other artists in just a moment, but I will never forget. It's one thing that there was just, you know, the pandemic and the lockdown and the uncertainty and the anxiety around that. But then in March, we had the George Floyd events followed by the protests, which then, you know, turned into riots in many cities. And then on top of that, you had these terrible forest fires happening all around California, and I swear, you looked outside, and, and it felt like, you know, 
Cormac McCarthy's The Road. It felt like Children of Men. It, it felt like the world was 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 dying. And I felt like I've got to write about this. Now the interesting thing is that I, my last record, I was singing a lot of falsetto, really inspired by Tom York. I can't sing anywhere close to Jeff Buckley, but I, I always love singers that take their voice and can go into these higher registers. Well, I hadn't sung for, you know, over four years. I, I moved from singing to DJing and then started writing books. So I had not um, sung a song in over four years. So, and I knew that there's no way I was going to hit any of those sort of higher notes. So I kind of wanted to write a record where my voice is sort of staying in, in one lower register. And, and Billie Eilish, not that, again, I... Uh, think I'm anything close to Billie Eilish or Billie Eilish. I, I think it's Eilish. I always hear it pronounced different ways. Her voice, and similarly to Tom Tom Petty, is really just in you know a register, seven to ten notes. So I sort of wanted to try and record a record and write songs where they're really quick. They're only like two or three minutes long, and my voice is sort of hovering uh, in sort of. And not a very wide vocal range, if that answered your question at all. Took me a while to get there, but well, I think when you're, you know, creating a, a record or a full album, you don't want to be overly inspired by someone because you know you don't want their work to creep into yours. But at the same time, you know, we go into music because we love our musical idols. So how do you kind of reconcile being inspired by other artists? yet making your work, you know, uniquely yours. Right. Well, um, I, I'm just a, a voracious consumer of music. So I, I think I have been for over 30 years, and I think it's impossible for, because of how one consumes and then ultimately blends with one's own uh, human uh, sensibilities. I think it's it's almost impossible for somebody to fully replicate somebody else. I mean, I think you may hear it ultimately with some younger singer songwriters because I believe it's only because they just haven't heard or consumed as much music as somebody who's 30 or 40 or 50. I think that's why sometimes I'll hear a young pop star who sounds just like somebody else that I had just heard he's really successful and I just think it's because they haven't consumed a lot but when you are a vast consumer of, of music um, I just I think it's actually pretty amazing and beautiful then when that that singer sings because you sort of hear these little small references to a Radiohead to an Elliott Smith to a Beatles record but when that person starts singing and it's their own voice it sounds completely their, it's, it's, their, it's their own music, and I think that's sort of what happens with me. I, I think I've been influenced by, you know, Lane Staley, um, mm -hmm. Alice Cornell, in Chains. Eddie, yeah, Alice in Chains, Eddie Vedder, Jeff Buckley, mm -hmm. Tom York. I mean, these are five of the probably greatest male singers ever, and, and I can't think anything like them. So I think... Um, and then when you combine my love of electronic music and being a DJ in LA, there's these sort of electronic elements as well. And of course, I was a huge Nirvana fan. Well, Nirvana never had electronic elements in their 
and their records. But I think when you're fusing my own interests with my adoration of, of the Seattle music scene, I think you ultimately are going to get something that, that sounds unique. Mm-hmm. So, Well, you've got a lot of depth to your music and, you know, sort of a passionate feel, but I wouldn't call it, you know, angry, although there seems to be a lot of emotion bubbling under the surface. So it's interesting that you were inspired by some of these more overt, I wouldn't say angry rockers, but, you know, very edgy almost rough around the edges sometimes kind of singers. You know what I mean? So so how, you know, you get inspired, but how it gets filtered through you, it's almost like, you know, Eddie Vedder, but, you know, by way of yoga. Yeah, I think um, it's, you can almost just, uh, you know, in this conversation we've had, you know, there's, I'm making a lot of observations on the world. A lot of them often make me frustrated, for sure, but I think I'm generally pretty happy and, and feel very lucky and blessed. So I, I, I think that's what's holding the music back from being, um, you know, a Nine Inch Nails type of, of record or a Tool record where it's just really dark and uh, overwhelmingly hard to consume after about 15, 20 minutes. I, I still believe in, in music being therapeutic. Look, a tool record is incredibly therapeutic for a lot of people, and I, and I certainly am blown away at how great they are. But I personally couldn't listen to that type of music after about 20, 30 minutes. But I, I'm trying to create music that's, that's dark but still potentially um, hopeful and, and a little bit more soft and I think the strings help that the synth helps that um, it's, it's just sort of amalgamation of rock a little dark but but some hope in there as well that where I, I, I want the music to look it's, it's really why I created the, the album it was through anger and frustration but I also there is a therapeutic hopeful edge to what I'm what I'm making and I, I think it's it's doing the same for me as, as the creator as, as as well as when I listen to it back so you mentioned the Seattle grunge rock scene um, in the late 80s early 90s uh, where were you when all that was exploding um, I well I was in college uh, early 90s and my freshman or sophomore roommate actually was from Seattle, and I was I was clueless about the Seattle music scene. All I I was a drummer as a kid, and I wasn't writing songs. But then he came down with all these demos and CDs of Mother Love Bone and and Nirvana and Nevermind came out in '91, and and Ten came out in '91, and I think as somebody who loved music but certainly had never written a song before, that that music was just life changing. You know, I, and I say this on my show. I don't know if we'll ever have a collection of bands, a scene like that ever again. I, I just I think to be able to grow up and be influenced by that time was pretty, looking back, uh, mm-hmm. was life-changing for sure. 
And what's it like to be at a point in your life now that you can look back and say, wow, that was 30 years ago. I know. It's crazy, right? <laughs> yeah. And I'm older no, than you, so for me, it's like, oh, my God, is that really 30 years yeah. ago? But I think, too, um, I, mean, well, I was just going to say for ahead. you, music, you know, pop music, rock music, it's very youth-oriented, okay? And it's very rare to have, you know, a band that becomes a legacy band like the Rolling Stones or the Beatles. You know, the music business wants to consume these bands quickly, you know, one-hit wonders. That's why it's refreshing, I think, for someone like you, who is over 30 years old, that you're doing this and you're going out there being relevant and, and with your own edge. You know what I mean? And do you think there's a lack of voices or maybe someone mid-career says, you know what, I want to cut a record. I want to start a rock band. I mean, I don't know if you listened to my last um, podcast episode, but I think I I posed the question, you know, where where have those, where did the angst-ridden or angst-driven, you know, artists go? It's it's weird. I I feel like I I don't want to touch on too much here potentially, but I I'm this is another area of the podcast where I don't know how much the cancel culture or in the constant twenty four seven access of artists um, if that's a good world for artists to be navigating. I just, I listen to Sam Harris a lot and Bill Maher a lot. And I, I think it's really, cha- I mean, even this podcast and what I talk about and what we're talking about, you, you know, you don't know what one can say that could be construed in a wrong sort of way that could then get them quote unquote canceled. And, and if they have a lot on the line, if you're JLo whether they're a corporation, a huge brand, you just don't know what will trigger someone or something, and then their life is, is potentially over. And and I and so I say to myself, well, no wonder the, there's not artists out there that are speaking out about what's going on to the world. I mean, Eric Clapton, just a week or two ago, spoke out about how he's feeling a little remiss about going out on the road and, and playing in front of divided fans. Joseph Arthur is a huge, I'm a huge fan of his and same thing. He's communicating these things and they're getting tons of backlash. And I just, I, I don't know. I don't even know if I'm answering your question, but I, I just, I think mm-hmm. this is a, to me, artists used to, I get the sense there was a freedom of, of, of in what they even being a stand-up comedian, imagine being a stand-up comedian nowadays. It's just, oh I, you know, what do you, what do you make fun of? But, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it's, I think just, well, I, I back to your point. Um, but you're over 30 I, in, in this whole yeah. realm of, you know, not to say that there haven't been brilliant records by, you know, 19 year olds. A lot of people do write their best songs when they're young. But at this point in life, you've got experience and you have something to say from a more mature perspective. And maybe we need 
to hear more of that. Maybe, you know, there's this lack of a mature voice out there in the music world. Well, um, thank you. I, I think this goes to my perfectionism as an artist. Um, I, the, the reason why the record sounds as good as it does, and I've somehow meshed all of these um, nuances together, is that I, I take the process very seriously. Uh, it provides immense joy, but I'm meticulous in how I produce and record, and I just I I hope people hear it. You know, I hope people mm-hmm. can can sense the depth and, and the intellect that goes behind the, the, the words and the way the drums clash with the electronic elements and the strings and, and, and what I'm singing about in the music video for animals is um, there was a lot of time I edited that myself. I mean, I taught myself to edit music videos because I, I got the sense that I would never be satisfied if somebody else edited it because it would be a completely different story. Um, I, I just think there's a look. A couple points here. I don't know how you're on time, but I, I'm just feeling like I, I believe an artist has a, a five years of relevancy if they're lucky. But I, I mean, even you too, I think is one of the most incredible um, artists. You know, they, they put out bad records. You know, Nancy Wilson who, from Heart, who's one of my favorite. Uh, bands, she put out a solo record recently that I just, you know, I thought was okay. Um, and I think the reason why, I think that five years can expand to 10 or 20 or 30 if, if you as an artist remain disciplined and constantly asking questions, staying curious and still striving to teach yourself new modalities to express yourself. And I just think once you get a little bit of success, it's, it's really hard because then the record label wants you to tour and then the manager wants you to keep doing this same thing over and over again that they got you to sell a million records, the, the, you know, that first record. I think it's really easy to sort of get into that. Mm-hmm. You know, one of my favorite questions... The- to ask uh, musicians is if you could tour with any band, you know, contemporary band or even, or an older band that reunited, who would it be? Meaning like whose fan base do you think would really get into your music? Like say you mentioned Eric Clapton, you know, would you like to tour with him or open for him or who would be the band where you think that audience, you know, they'd say, wow, I'm really glad. I discovered Eddie Cohn tonight. Yeah, I, you know, sort of one artist who I think has sort of embodied what I've been talking about, where an artist can go beyond that five years and be relevant for 20 years is, is Beck. I think he has really, mm-hmm. to go from one album like Sea Change than to, um, gosh, I'm suddenly forgetting the... The, song, the Loser song? Well, that was the first record. Let me just look really fast. But, you know, Sea Change was, I don't know how well you know um, his records, but um, Colors was a, was a great... Sea Change to me was one of the best records of all time. 
Um, mm-hmm. Od- go, go from Odile to Sea Change, then Morning Phase, where he won the um, the Grammy for. Um, I, I just I just think the way that he mixes all these different genres of of, of music is is brilliant, mm-hmm. and and I I think. Um, so you think his audiences would would love your yeah, music? Yeah, I think so. Because I, I, he incorporates a lot of electronic and, and analog elements. He also incorporates strings. Modern Guilt is another great record. Mutations. Um, so yeah, if you I toured with I, Beck and he brought you on stage to join him for one of his songs, which of his songs would you like to duet with him on? Oh, boy. Probably anything off um, Sea Change, The Golden Age is great, Little One, I probably would want to play the drums on or something. Probably one of those songs. Something something on Sea Change, though. And if, if, you the fun of, if you haven't listened... Well, isn't that the fun of touring, um, too? You know, when you get to, you know, perform with other people. You know, especially, you know, when, you know you've been locked away in the studio and and everything is so singular just to not only just get on the road but just jam with artists that you respect yeah i i agree i think um plus if you're going to tour with someone you you also have to pick who's going to be funnest to party with on the road right absolutely Um, (laughs) yeah do you think beck would be fun Fun to party with. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. Or does he just I, like I, his, the set is over and he goes to the hotel room and he's in bed by midnight? Yeah, I mean, look, I, 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 I certainly don't feel like I at the age where I can go out until three o'clock in the morning. I probably would want to be asleep <laughs> by twelve, also. So, but I, yeah, I just I think there's something interesting about what he does and the chances he takes and the risks he takes musically where I think, um, and you're right. I think that, that experience, you know, I get the sense live events are opening. Uh, I'll be curious to see if, if they're just all packed, but you know, I, I, I agree with you. I think, uh, I've asked guests on my show, you know, how, how is it to record this last year, just all via zoom or in your own home studios? There's certainly a convenience factor to that, but, there is an energy when, you know, you have the drummer in the same room and you're collaborating on the fly and, you know, mistakes happen, improvisation happens. I think all of those elements uh, are needed. You know, everything right now just feels very uh, structured, safe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to wrap up in a little bit, although I do have five more questions for you, although I don't know okay, what sure. those five questions are yet. Make it up as we go here. As we go, but uh, now's the time to make sure everyone knows where to find you online and learn about you and listen and hopefully buy your music because you got to, you know what, support the artist. I know, right? Um, well, IamEddieCohen.com is the website. It has the info for the, the music, podcast, um, EddieCohen.BandCamp.com is where you can buy the music. Eddie Cohn and Spotify and iTunes for streaming on YouTube. Eddie Cohn, subscribe. You can see the music videos. I'm putting out a new one um, in about a week or two, a remix for Animals that we just did. Uh, the record will come out in probably September. Um, 
the podcast is called The Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral, which you can obviously find on Spotify and iTunes. But that, and hopefully the book will be out by the end of the year or in the spring. But um, that's that's uh, yeah, Instagram at Eddie Cohn, Twitter also. So excellent, and Cone spelled C O H N. Right. See. I think Cone, when you hear it on the radio, not that I've known anyone whose last name was spelled C-O-N-E, but you never know. That's true. Yeah, it's good. (laughs) Eddie Cone. So, yeah, I'm looking at it right now. I am Eddie Cone dot com. I-A-M-E-D-D-I-E-C-O-H-N dot com. Yeah, it was a long time ago. I had, you know, Eddie Cone dot com and then Eddie Cone Music and um, another Eddie Com, but then I was sort of like, you know, you're doing so many different things now. I, I need to, I need a different, different website. So there you go. <laughs> well, that's cool. You got lots of photos. You even got yoga on there, so, so that's really cool. All right, here. Oh, here's yeah. the first of our five questions. What is the name of this book that's going to come out? Is it fiction, nonfiction? What's it called, and what's it about? Well, I can't say what it's called. It's still um, just as, and I can't reveal it until it's actually done and then it's out. Okay. But I will. You're keeping, you're keeping the mystique. You're building up yeah, some mystery. Exactly. <laughs> okay. But it is. Um, it's, no, but I can't say. say, say is say, it fiction? Is it fiction? Yeah, I can't say it's, 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 I, I will say, or can't say it's a satire. It's fictional um, sort of, Capturing some of the insane craziness of our tech-obsessed world, I will say that. Oh, wow. Well, that's intriguing. That sounds very timely. Yes. So, so has it been optioned by Netflix yet? No, no. I literally, we're, I'm still in this. We just really just, I just finished working with the editor about a week ago. And so now next step is to work with the designer to, come out with the layout and so um but believe me once once it's out by the end of the year i'm, I'm going to do what i can to get it out to as many people as i can and, and it could potentially turn into a, a tv show or a movie for sure i mean that wasn't the intention but a lot of people who have read it have, have said that to me so we'll see is there a character in it who's a thinly disguised version of jeff zuckerberg <laughs> um no Definitely not. Okay. <laughs> so I think that was already done anyway. What, what was yeah, that probably. one with, uh, with uh, what's his face? With Eisenberg. Oh, was that the social network? Oh, right. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, that was a little, but that was based on a true story. Yours is fiction, supposedly. Right. At least for legal supposedly, reasons, yeah. it's fiction. Exactly, okay. exactly. And that's going to come out next spring, you think? No, I mean, hoping by the end of the year, or or if, if it doesn't get out by November, then yeah, it'll come out early next year. Okay, cool. Well, and you'll have updates on your website for that, of course. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially when the when the cover art comes out. Right. Right. Well, that's that's the crucial part. Well, question number two. You're in California. Southern California, because you, you said Hermosa Beach, and you're down there during the fires and all that. And I, I have this very sort of glamorized version of Southern California. 
I think I've talked to some other musicians about this. And there was such this romanticized era of that in the 70s. Like, what was it, Laurel Canyon? And then you got the kind of eagles and the the peaceful, easy feeling. And, I don't know, Ventura Highway and America. Do you have some kind of, you know, mythologized version of California in the back of your mind? I mean, do you think, oh, wow. I wish I could have been there during, you know, when Fleetwood Mac was recording rumors and, you know, James Taylor and just all these mellow 70s rockers. You know, what's your vision of that, that sort of, um, you know, I would say golden age of Southern California rock. Hmm. Or even know. when, you know, all of America, you know, wanted to be, you know, surfing in California. I have no idea how to answer that question, but I will say up until like from 2010 to 2020, I saw Southern California become this beautiful mecca of art and health and nature and entertainment. Um, Air pollution was going down. I, I personally didn't think traffic was as bad. The train, they had just finished the train out here in like 2019. Um, I, just, I, I think LA was top three cities in the world. I, I think outside of housing costs, which of course is a whole other topic of discussion, but I think, I think once the pandemic hit though, um, I think some of the grittiness and ugliness of the city started to sort of crop up and now we're, we're going to see what's going to happen. Um, but I, I mm-hmm. think musically speaking, I, I don't know if I ever really felt connected to a music scene out here. I think I was just connected to this incredible mixture of people culture, food, nature, beach, mountain, and just fully living and enjoying this, this incredible place. Music was sort of um, just sort of like a, a small backdrop, strangely. It's, it's weird. I, I don't know if I ever fully, I, I met some great musicians out here and recorded some records out here, but I think I was sort of immersed in so many different areas that I don't know if there was really even a music scene out here per se. I think I felt it a little bit more when I was DJing. Um, mm-hmm. But and how about the clubs? The, like, were there any classic clubs that you thought, wow, if I can play this club, I've made it, you know, on, on sunset strip. Um, oh, what were those classic I think that was, clubs? I mean, I, I think that was more before I was out here. I think, mm-hmm the record industry was starting to shift. Uh, Like those days of, of if you got this gig at, at this club, you made it. And I mean, I think the hotel cafe sort of became, you know, pretty reputable bar uh, club out here. Of course, the whiskey, the Roxy, but I, I think those, that, that day and age of, of quote unquote, making it based on a gig was, was, really happening in the 80s, and that was before I was out here, early 90s. 
Um, it just, I don't know if I'm sort of ruining your question, but, but that, that, <laughs> scene, that scene was sort of, I think it was already sort mm-hmm. of dwindling and not happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you ever see that movie, The Banger Sisters with Goldie Hawn and Susan Sarandon? No. Oh, uh, where Goldie works at one of those venues, and it's kind of like saying how that was her youth, but that's kind of over, and, you know, people reconciling who lived during those days and partied and went out to the concerts, and, you know, or even, what was that movie, um, Almost Famous? Almost Famous, sure. About, you know, traveling with oh. the band for Rolling Stone, and just that, that whole glamour of those that time, and those mega bands of like the seventies that we'll probably never see that again. Yeah. I think that's sort of what we touched on a bit. And I, I just, I don't know if that'll ever happen again. And, and I, I think, yeah, it's just that, that mystique and aura of a, of a musical scene or a band. Uh, I just, I see it a little bit with, with Billie Eilish a little bit when just I get the sense, I mean, it's different because she's so young, but um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I think there's a certain mystique and aura around music, specifically LA music that I, I just, I don't know if it's, it's there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I think a lot of these people are unfortunately dying off, you know, like when you think of like mm-hmm. Woodstock, think, okay, you know, people who are at Woodstock, and you think, oh, that wasn't that long ago, and you think, oh, my goodness, that was a long time ago, <laughs> and a lot of those yeah. people um, are in their 70s now, or, or maybe even 80s. I mean, even Grace Slick, how old is Grace Slick now? And you think, okay, maybe, maybe you know, this generation is losing touch of a lot of that, and I just think, you know, I, I just, in my mind, I would love to go, you know, to Southern California, like to Hermosa Beach or, you know, your neck of the woods and, you know, see some old grizzled guy on the beach that remembers that day, you know, oh, back in the day, I remember. And it seems like there really aren't the many of those people left, you know, who, who's going to preserve that California music history or, you know, even Venice Beach isn't Venice Beach anymore. You know, maybe COVID right. just kind of eliminated the last little trace of all that. Mm. Yeah, I, 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 I'm with you. I, I think it's, it's, it's sadly possible to think that way. Yeah. Okay, moving on. Question three. I, I see now would be that time I would play like taps or some <laughs> depressing, you know, funeral music to say the death of the memory of the Southern California mellow rock seventies anyways. And, Oh, and if we start talking about, you know, Tom Petty passing away a couple of years ago, just very sad. Mm-hmm. All these, all these great artists. Okay. So number three, how has the DJ world and just EDM electronic music, electrona, AKA electronica. I'm not sure what people are calling it nowadays, but, I love dance music, but EDM, it has radically changed pop music now that it's such a dominant force. Do you think that's for the good, the bad, or is there, you know, like any other genre of music, there's good EDM, there's bad EDM, and just the whole way people are consuming music, like at Coachella 
And just like at these mass DJ events, and I'm saying this knowing you're a DJ, knowing that you right. obviously like it and, you know, you've crafted great experiences for people. But what is your challenge as a DJ to still bring musical integrity to an event? Well, I think I would suggest your listeners and, and you to see a movie called What We Started on Netflix. Um, mm-hmm. I used to be one of those people where I was not sure what a DJ, what, what they really brought to the table. I think as a musician where I'm actually playing instruments, I was pretty naive as to what a DJ can bring or do to a room, and, and I didn't even think there was anything creative going on. I, I just, I didn't get it. But then I, I, a friend of mine asked me to spin at his restaurant, and I had never done it before, and I, I, I lied about it. I said, sure, I'll, I've done this before, and I, I, I bought a turntable, I, I bought a controller, and I think, you know, music has the power to, to change a room. And, and whether you're playing the drums and singing or manipulating music and, and matching beats like DJs are doing, and then there's this whole other creative aspect to what they do that I can't even surmise here on a podcast. It's just there's so many intricacies to shifting BPMs and adding effects and filters and and mixing them with other songs and, you know, Dylan Francis and, and Calvin Harris and Kygo. I mean, these, these gentlemen have, have transformed music where they're, they're mixing uh, their DJ elements with, with pop artists. And, and I think it's, it's probably an amalgamation of just us culturally. It's, it's, it's a mix of um, acoustic analog elements to then electronic element, elements of what a DJ is doing. I had a guest on my show a few months ago where, I mean, the best DJs and producers right now are, are not only masters at, at instruments, but also masters of manipulation and understanding technology. And I think that's just, you know, what mm-hmm. a good DJ does. And whether it's a wedding DJ or a DJ at a bar or a DJ in, in Vegas, they, the music has the ability to, to shift the energy mm-hmm. of the room. So I, I think... It's, mm-hmm. it's powerful. And maybe it's, you know, me as someone getting older, you know, you think, oh, that new generation, you know, you always want to sort of grumble about that. But I think the thing we have to accept is the technology and it's inevitable, you know, when we got the ability to sample music and, and that, mm-hmm. you know, became easier for the average person and they could create their beats and, you know, be creative that way. You know, but create a full sound without having access to a full studio and orchestra. You know, they could sample and create a full sound and, you know, synthesizers as they advance and, you know, computer technology and home recording. You know, it's all natural. And I think some people, you know, the purists say, oh, it's not music unless, you know, it's a live band. Well, the whole thing is, of course, it's music. Because the fans, you know, you can't control what people enjoy. So if some people like it. Why not? And why not embrace that technology? I think that's the whole point is it just gives you another instrument or just another way to express yourself. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I, I 
it's opened up my world to a whole other world of, of music and, and bands and people that I, I think it's it's great. I, I love it. I, and again, I think check out the movie What We Started. I think it'll really give you a deeper appreciation uh, towards what DJs bring to our culture and, and to the music scene. Mm-hmm. And when you do a DJ set, do you ever slip in some old school songs? Oh, gosh, all the time. I mean, that's, you know, that's the thing. It's one thing if you're a DJ in a Vegas show where you're playing your own music, but I'm, you know, my music, really, although I'm, I'm trying to create some more DJ type of music on my own, my music doesn't really lend itself to that. So, um, you know, typically when I'm DJing at a club or a bar or a nightclub or a restaurant, it's, you know, it's free form where I'm, you're, you know, you're reading the room and you, you, you've got a, especially in LA, you've got mix of cultures, t- different types of people. You can't just play, um, you know, EDM 130 BPM music for an hour. You've got to mix and throw in some old school hip hop, throw in some, some Diana Ross and then, bring in the Calvin Harris song and, and it's just, it's really, it's, it's not about you. It's, it's really about reading the room and, and, and mixing it and, and keeping the audience engaged and, and excited about, you know, what, what you're playing. Wasn't it fun when you see a young person, like someone in their early twenties who wasn't even born when some of the stuff was made and then you, you throw on funky town and they hear it for the first time and just love it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, even you know, even an older Michael Jackson song from Off the Wall, or um, mm-hmm. gosh, there's just I'm uh, you know, Salt and Pepper had some incredible songs. Just like some of these songs in the '80s were just classics, and they and they still sound relevant and they still sound timely today. So. Um, yeah. Well, in a way, the way you're bridging the gap, and you're probably doing a little music education as you're spinning. I think so. I think again, I, I know I'm older, uh, but I think because of as as I think we touched on earlier, just if if your library of music in your brain is deeper and wider, I think it's going to reflect in just your lifestyle, the way you live, the music that you make. And then as a DJ, the music that you're playing, it's just, it's, it's, it's only going to make your set better if, if you have a deeper understanding of all the different genres of music. I, I, I just think it's, yeah, it's a necessity. So when you DJ and you see people's instant reaction to the music, does that influence how you create your music? Um, I, you know, this is the first record that I've done since being a DJ, and I think, absolutely, I think most of the songs on this record, although Animals is one of my cats is meowing away, I think Animals is sort of a slower song, but most of the songs on the record have a BPM of, which stands for Beats for Measure, is over 120, 125, so they're all pretty fast, And which I mm-hmm. did that because I think I wanted you know, faster songs. I wanted to remix them, and to, which which I did with Animals. We we have a remix coming out in a couple of weeks for it, where it's a much faster tempo. And I think, um, yeah, I think it's a clear it's a clear result as of mm-hmm. uh, because of being a DJ for you know four or five years. And why? So, so some of these songs. cuts, 
Well, some of these tracks from dystopian days, you might do club remixes and we could potentially hear these in clubs. The goal for sure. I, I already did one for animals, which will be out in a couple of weeks and I'm, I'm, I'm going to oh, work wow. on, yeah. So I'm going to work on a couple others as well. I, I just, I, I, I felt like it was worth exploring that, that, that world with, with this, with this, uh, with this project. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to look out for that because I, I do love a good club remix. Yeah, I agree for sure. Do, do you have any dream remixers you'd love to work with? Oh gosh. Um, like Calvin I, Harris. I mean, sure. I, I, of course, but there's somebody else that I, um, I can't remember, but yes, Calvin Harris, Kaiga would be great, but there was, there was somebody else that I, who did a really great remix for Fleetwood Max dreams that I'm suddenly mm-hmm. forgetting their name, but yes. Isn't that interesting how people are lifting some of these older, you know, like even from the disco era classics with a remix and they're becoming number one dance hits, you know, 40 years later. Yeah, there was a remix that I just heard. Um, Darren Hall and John Oates' song, I Can't Go For That. I keep hearing new remixes for that one coming out every few months over the last year. There was a, a remix of Suicide Blonde that I just heard come out recently. So, yeah, it's kind of it's, it's neat to see some of these um, popular songs getting reimagined, I like to say. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Okay, by the way, all that was part of the DJ question. So question number four, <laughs> okay. I'm getting down to the wire here, but um, uh, your podcast, which I have to say the name again, the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral Podcast, um, you've had a lot of cool guests on there. If you could have access you know, to one guest that you currently do not have access to, or you think they're like too famous and there's just too many gatekeepers, who would you love to get through to and have them say yes and, and be a guest on your show? Um, I think probably Tom, Tom York from Radiohead. Mm-hmm. I, just, I think, you know, OK Computer, which came out in, uh, boy, I think 95. I'm just going to look just to be sure, which to me was a record that was sort of almost foreshadowing um, the world's um, 97 the world mm-hmm. sort of um, connection slash disconnection to tech I mean that that was really to me a prophetic record about of things to come and I think they have really embraced and, 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 and the way they produce their albums and just how the, the mix of, of organic instrumentation with serious drum programming and synthesizers. I think they've also, I forget the the guitar player's name, but the way that he has sort of moved into film scoring. I know Tom York has also moved into film scoring as well. I I just think I'd have a lot of questions for them just about how they uh, have embraced, but also sort of disconnected from, from technology as well. What did you think of this soundtrack for the remake of Suspiria? 
Hmm. I don't. What was the movie called? Or the Suspiria? Didn't Tom York do that? Uh, I. How do you spell it? S U S P I R I A. You know, when they the it was very controversial when they said they're going to remake the 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 Italian horror classic Suspiria, the oh, Dario Argento I I classic. I have, and I think, have and the no guy idea. That, it got a lot of uh, attention because the guy that directed it was a pretty high-profile director. Um, um, oh, Suspiria, gosh. Yeah, I, I I never even heard of it. Had no idea. So I'm sorry. I, I didn't even know. Oh, my God. Well, then you're in for a treat. You have something new to um, explore. And I think he worked with, I, I think, you know, part of it was or, orchestral. I think he worked with uh, an orchestra in it. And hmm. I did I'll see the movie. But I, I can't remember everything, but I think there was a real eclectic, very moody mix of compositions. So, well, there you go. You, you learned something new today. Yeah. Well, until this, I'm seeing here, Tilda Swinton is going to, she's, She's fantastic, so I'll I'll have to check it out for sure. Yeah, I think he got a lot of acclaim for it. I, I read a lot of people who really really liked his work on that. Mm, okay, so, cool. I will definitely check it out. Cool. All right, final question. So for animals, going back to your current release, animals, which I'm sure was inspired by your cat, by, by yes, your absolutely. your persistent cat. <laughs> I know, well, right? Animals has a really cool video, and you're in it, front and center. Um, yeah. And I've noticed on your w- website, you know, you do the yoga, you know, you put yourself out there physically, you know, you're in this video. And I always wanted to ask this to an artist. You know, some people just like to sing, you know, they like to be up on stage with a guitar and a microphone. You know, some people are more extroverted, some are more introverted. You know, some people would just love to lock themselves away in a studio and never <laughs> right. have anyone look at them. Like, who's that singer? She always puts her hair in her face. She's got a big wig or something. Who was that? Remember, she, she uh, her whole mystery was you could never quite see all of her face. Oh, gosh. I don't know. I mean, I know a lot. Cat Power would do that for sure, but I, I don't know. I'm not sure. Okay. I'm sure we'll both remember this the second we're done. <laughs> But for you, where do you stand on that? Because that's another thing, you know, especially nowadays, you just don't record music. You, you know, you, you just don't go into a studio, but you have to get out there and be on camera. And I think we take that for granted nowadays, especially since we've you know been Zooming all year with everyone. And now everyone has to kind of be on camera. And even if you're not very savvy, you know, just to have a, a conversation during quarantine, we've all had to learn how to be camera ready or be in a business meeting and, you know, just get a little savvier. But for you, is that something you took to right away, you know, being on camera? Is that something you enjoy? Do you enjoy when it gets to this music video part and you get to perform on camera? You know, I don't, it's a, it's a, it's a mix, it's a mix for me. I, I think, um, I don't like being on Instagram and showing myself on that because I think you don't know when 
you're getting somebody like you don't know if somebody's staring at their phone and i'm 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 aware of this i'm thinking about where is the person potentially going to be when they're listening to what i have to say or watching what i have to say and i and i think that's why i like the podcast because it requires the person to be you know in the car listening and and hearing my voice and and, and hearing the the intricacies and the nuances of what i have to say so with with instagram i i i often think what's the point because what is the environment where i'm catching somebody they're in the midst of a scroll they're either in the bathroom or at the post office or they're driving what are the chances that i'm getting somebody in a state of mind where i can actually capture their attention for 20 30 seconds and i think the chances are very slim so um with the music videos leslie the director that i've worked with before uh, you know i think there's a better chance that i'm getting somebody for three four minutes because they're hopefully not driving (laughs) they're hopefully you know in a state of mind where they're listening and watching and i feel like we're creating something that's that has a lot of thoughts that that uh, we we put a lot of time into this and i put a lot of time into editing and, and leslie and i put a lot of time into shooting and he's phenomenal with with the camera and and so i think um the music videos are a space where i i've actually enjoyed i don't mind per se being in front of the camera i mean i'm not a natural i'm certainly not an actor and i'm not meant to you know live my life in front of a camera like you know j-lo or beyonce potentially maybe because they're just more more comfortable doing that or an actor but um i do feel like i've found a good middle ground um and i believe in the music i think that we live in a world now where music needs a visual attached to it which I, i don't necessarily love but it just feels like if you don't have a visual attached to it then people just don't consume it as readily um so i feel like i've figured out a space where um, i'm more comfortable putting myself in front of the camera you know for a, a video and like even the podcast people have asked me why don't you do video and i don't feel comfortable doing it i just it's another step it's another part to think about um i i just want it to be audio only right now because i do think there's a little bit more intimacy that can be created with that so i i think each medium uh, i'm thinking differently about each of them in a different way it's funny you say that because you know i i've done video podcasts where both people are on video also and it does change the tone there suddenly is that self-consciousness of Oh, do I look okay? Am I doing anything distracting with my expressions? And sometimes it is nice just to take away that self-consciousness and just, you know, be your natural self. Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, I think Joe Rogan can do it because he's, he's a stand-up comedian and he's been in front of the camera before and often his guests are Kevin Hart's or, you know, who has a, who's been in front of a camera, um, but you can tell those people that aren't per se experienced being in front of the camera where he's speaking to a scientist or something where there's a certain, it's not as natural sounding as, as 
say, a Kevin Hart discussion, who's somebody who's so used to being in front of the camera. So I think, um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I, just, I think once you turn the camera on, people act differently. Mm-hmm. Can you remember when you had that first time when, say, you're in front of the camera shooting the, you know, the video, maybe you're a little self-conscious, but then you reach that point where you just let that go and you're suddenly not worried? Can you remember when you've reached yeah, that point? Yeah, well, I don't, I, I don't think I've reached it until this, this, these music videos that I'm shooting now. I think, uh, I, yeah, I just, I, I just recall the last, times I had shot them years ago I, I never really got to that place but now I just you know I am what I am and so in the songs I believe in so it's just sort of like okay let's just make some good art let's make a video that's cool that, that sort of connects with um, the music and I, I don't want to fully tell the meaning of the songs I sort of want people to interpret them themselves but I, I think you know I, I just I'm, I'm at a place now where I just I uh, just want to create some good art and get people thinking. So what's the next video you'll make for dystopian days? Um, probably. Yeah. As I said, we have the remix coming out for animals next week. It's going to be premiered. I'm not sure where yet, but then I'm, I'm thinking we, I have a song called broken pieces, which is probably going to be the lead title or lead song on the record. I, we're going to probably drive out to Joshua tree and record a video for that. Or I have a song called underwater where um, we may play with, you know, the the water and drowning, but we'll see. So definitely one of those will come next. And so we're probably going to shoot one of them in the next six weeks or so. That's such a, a rite of passage going out to Joshua tree to shoot a video. I know it seems appropriate. Well, we've shot some great, <laughs> we've had some great locations here. So I, I think LA and Southern California has some, some great landscapes and great vistas and iconic locations in Joshua tree to me. So definitely one of them. So, yeah. Well, can you, will you channel some U2? I hope, I hope not. Although I, I, people keep comparing me to U2. So it's obviously a, an amazing compliment, but I, I'm hoping to sort of capture my own quote-unquote thing out, out there. But, um, yeah, I, I'm sure, you know, we'll, we'll find that happy medium of being influenced by YouTube but capturing our own thing as well. Well, I'll give you the last word here. You know, like, like we, we said earlier, you wear many hats. But it seems like, you know, your common thread with your music, your yoga, your writing, you know, you've got a spiritual thread, you know. So uh, give you just a, a little chance to sum up, you know, what's, what's your philosophy you've learned so far? And to you, what do you consider your spiritual base? I, I I don't I don't want to say too much to be honest, and I I think I'm probably still um, figuring it out. You know, I think I will leave you with with this inner voice. The more things we add to our lives, if we're not careful, 
our instinct and our inner voice will get cloudy and we will not be able to listen to those very important qualities that we all have. So um, if you are making decisions that don't feel like your own, if you're not listening to that intrinsic inner voice inside of you because you have managed to occupy your life with so many distractions and noise, that's a sign that maybe you need to take a step back. (laughs) 